You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg podcast. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. Well, today we're talking about gunpowder, the history of gunpowder, the technology of gunpowder, the availability of gunpowder in England and the colonies. Our guest today is Ron Potts. He's assistant armorer here at Colonial Williamsburg, and he's joined us to talk about his area of expertise, or one of his areas of expertise, and that's gunpowder. Ron, thank you for being here today. Uh, nice to be here. Thank you. Well, where do we start with gunpowder? When does this enter into use? Well, let's, let's start at the very beginning. I think that's the best place. Um, where gunpowder originated is still open for debate among historians. Some believe it actually developed in, in Europe. Um, I don't believe that's true. Um, could be uh, the, the Arabic world, could be India, but I think the best evidence points to China. The oldest uh, story that I can find on gunpowder, and this is sort of an interesting one, it comes out of 850 AD. At that time, a Chinese alchemist wrote a book um, about different potions that had been being used in China to allow the emperor to live forever. One emperor in China, uh, who was emperor from about eight, 804 to 820, a man by the name of Lin Chen, wanted to live forever uh, so badly that he took 35 different potions. Unknown to him, unknown to the alchemist that made these potions for him, some of them contained poison, so what he actually did was shorten his life because he ended up dying from being poisoned. The book written in 850 basically talked about the 35 potions that he took. One of them, he tells us, was a mixture of saltpeter, which is one of the ingredients of salt of gunpowder, uh, sulfur, which is the second ingredient of, of gunpowder, and instead of charcoal, which is the third ingredient of gunpowder, the mixture contained dried honey. But the interesting thing about dried honey, it's a carbon source. He tells us when they were mixing these three uh, ingredients together, they exploded, burning the men who were working on it and burning down the house that they were in. So to me, this is the earliest example of gunpowder, at least the road to gunpowder. Um, and what makes the story interesting, of course, is the fact that it, its initial intention was to allow for hum humans to have eternal life. And gunpowder, of course, has not done that. So when does it start being used to propel objects? The Chinese start that too. Initially, it's just uh, used to make loud noises. Um, but they do begin using it in tubes. And what they do is they uh, put the gunpowder in the tubes and then ignite it so that the, the gunpowder comes out the muzzle end of the tube. And it would, be a, uh, it would be a weapon that would be used at close distance from the enemy because you're not firing a projectile. You're just firing gunpowder. So the intent is to burn the enemy in front of you. But you have to be within in the range of the gunpowder itself. So that's not very far, 10, 20 feet. What slowly happened is they began to put, or they began to find little pieces of stuff, gravel, uh, solid objects, and they began to realize it will also propel those objects, and it will propel those objects further distances. So they started putting more and more pieces of lead, pieces of glass, whatever they had, in the tubes, and eventually, within a hundred years or so, they end up putting a large object, a bullet or a ball, and, and instead of trying to worry about burning somebody with the gunpowder, they realize, you know, let's hit them with a bullet, a ball, because that will go a much greater distance. You've mentioned the three ingredients in gunpowder. Let's go back and talk about those. You mentioned sulfur, saltpeter, and what was the third? Charcoal. Charcoal. Where are those sourced? How do okay. those come together? The interesting thing about gunpowder, for one thing, it's not, it does not detonate. 
gunpowder doesn't actually explode. What it does is deflagrate. Deflagrate means it burns very fast. Now, what burns in gunpowder is the charcoal and sulfur. Charcoal, we know, is a fuel we all use it, and we have used it for centuries. Uh, sulfur is also it's one of the few elements found in nature that burns. It used to be called brimstone. Saltpeter is the key, though, because saltpeter is actually the oxidizer. Now, specifically, saltpeter should be potassium nitrate, although, especially in Europe, they use calcium nitrate and sodium nitrate and magnesium nitrate. What you really want for gunpowder, though, the best of, of all those is the potassium nitrate. Um, at the heart of a potassium nitrate molecule is a nitrogen atom that has three oxygen atoms connected to it. Now, when you think about putting gunpowder in a gun, in a, in a tube, that's all it is, a tube closed at one end, let's, let's say we put charcoal in that tube, just charcoal, and we tried to light it. It would probably light, but it would burn out instantly because there's no oxygen in that tube. We would burn out the oxygen. So we need to get oxygen in that tube, and that's what the saltpeter is going to do for us. It's the main ingredient in gunpowder, in small arms like muskets, 75% at least of the, of the ingredient is saltpeter. What exactly is saltpeter? Okay, saltpeter is actually a byproduct of two strains of bacteria that feed on human or animal waste. I'm putting that as politely as I can. The bacteria, though, also needs something to drink, and it doesn't like water. So if you mix water with the waste, you won't get saltpeter. What you need to mix with the waste is urine. Once again, human or animal, bacteria is not fussy, although, and they knew this fairly early on in England, or in Europe too, by the way, uh, if you can get urine from a human that drinks a lot of alcohol, it's actually better. Um, science has found out for us that the reason that is is because people that drink a lot tend to have more ammonia in their urine, and that's what the bacteria feeds on. So what happens? You have a pile of waste and urine mixed with it, and this takes about a year for this to happen too, by the way. The ammonia will break down the nitrogen in the waste. Along comes the first strain of bacteria. It's called nitrosominus. Nitrosominus will come along and feed on that. Its waste is going to produce a nitrite. A nitrite is a nitrogen atom with two oxygen atoms connected to it. What comes along and feeds on its waste now is nitrobacter, the second strain of bacteria. It feeds on that, gets what it needs, and then its waste is a nitrogen atom connected to three oxygen atoms, which is our nitrite. And that whole process takes about one year if you're doing it yourself. And instructions were also printed for the colonists to produce saltpeter. In other words, you build a pit, fill it with waste, organic matter, uh, a little lime is good to maintain the pH balance, and then periodically, about once every two weeks, wet it with urine, cover it so it doesn't get rained on, crawl in the pit every once in a while to mix it up, and within about a year, you'll start to see uh, saltpeter crystals forming on your walls. Um, one last thing. Americans did try this. We weren't that successful at it, I think, for obvious reasons. It's not the most pleasant thing to try to produce. Um, but one person who actually made an attempt, uh, John Adams, at the beginning of the war, was a, a strong opponent for America producing saltpeter and gunpowder. His wife, Abigail, actually tried to produce saltpeter. Her and a couple of her neighbors uh, made a pit and uh, tried to do it. They weren't successful at it, but they gave it the old college try, as one would say. So what happens now, let me, let me do this kind of in, in an order. If you could slow down um, 
the events that happen when you ignite gunpowder. The first thing you would see happening is the sulfur would ignite because it ignites at a lower temperature, about 504 degrees. The sulfur then would help ignite the charcoal, which ignites at around 750 to 840 degrees, depending on the charcoal because you can use different woods. In order for the nitrogen to break down in the saltpeter and release the oxygen, you need to heat it to 635 degrees. That's the charcoal's job because it heats to 800 degrees. It's going to break that nitrogen down and then release the oxygen, which allows the rest of the sulfur and gunpowder in that tube to burn. Now, the amazing part of all this, remember I said we want to slow it down. In a musket, a small arm tube, that whole process from start to finish, ignition to combustion, complete combustion, is about seven milliseconds. It's amazing to think about all the chemistry happening in there. I've never, yeah. never stopped to think about it before. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, you know, during most of the history of gunpowder, none of that was known. They don't really understand or, or learn the chemistry and exactly what's going on until the late 1800s. And uh, by then, gunpowder is kind of going on its way out because they have new explosives like TNT and, and dynamite and gun cotton. Which are, which are explosives, they detonate, and they burn much, they, they explode much quicker than gunpowder. Let's talk about the gunpowder that fueled the American Revolution, was actually not a native product of the American colonies. No, there, we made very little gunpowder here in America. The first gunpowder mill that I have ever come across anyway was opened in Milton, Massachusetts in 1676. So we were making some gunpowder. The Milton, uh, Massachusetts mill, actually produced gunpowder up until about 1750 when it went out of business. I think it, the family just sold it off or died out. Um, my understanding is they made some pretty good gunpowder, uh, but that was the only one that I know of. Now, during the French and Indian War, there were a few small mills, and there's always been individuals, especially in the frontier, that make it for their own use or, or for their neighbors. Um, but by the time the American Revolution breaks out in 1775, there's only one gunpowder mill operating in America, and that's the Frankfurt Mill up just north of Philadelphia. And the, uh, so it's owned by a man named Oswald Lee, and they're not producing gunpowder there all the time. He only produces gunpowder when he has saltpeter. So it's, it's a very sporadic production of gunpowder. So when the war breaks out, it's estimated that the Americans control about 80,000 pounds of gunpowder for our defense. Now, now I kind of want to make this clear. There are, there's a lot of privately owned gunpowder. Every militiaman is, is required to own at least a pound, sometimes more depending on the militia laws. Uh, and, and many of the stores in Williamsburg and throughout the colonies selling different items and, and guns would also be selling gunpowder. What I'm talking about is gunpowder for the defense of the colonies. Now, to put that in some sort of perspective, 80,000 pounds, because that, well, that sounds like a fair amount. Um, in the first two and a half years of the war, we do start making gunpowder. Obviously, all of the colonies put out requests to their citizens, if you can make gunpowder, please do it. And if you say, well, I don't know how, they actually print instructions for you to tell you how to do it. And people respond. Uh, Americans will produce roughly 115,000 pounds of gunpowder for our defense. But during that same period of time, we received from France, and, and I want to make it clear, I said receive, not buy. We are paying for some of it, but not all of it. France is loaning us a lot of money. Uh, we received from France about 1.7 million pounds of gunpowder. So you can see what we're producing is, is next to nothing. In fact, by war's end, 
some 90% of the gunpowder we will use in our fight against England will have come from uh, from France. This must have been a tremendous problem throughout the revolution Absolutely. coming by gunpowder. You can't have a war without gunpowder. Yeah, and to compound that problem, gunpowder doesn't store forever. Uh, because uh, because the potassium nitrate is a salt, if it, it will absorb, absorb moisture, and once that happens, your gunpowder is ruined. So generally, potassium nitrate gunpowder will store in wooden barrels, which is generally how we do it. It will store somewhere between maybe three and five years. Beyond that, it starts uh, becoming useless. It, it won't work at all, actually. Um, if it's calcium nitrate, which they used in Europe for quite a while, you can only expect about three months out of that because yeah? calcium nitrate absorbs moisture easily. Do we see Washington or any other leaders writing about the problem of the shortage of gunpowder? Yes, yes, we do. In fact, when Washington takes command of the army around Boston in 75, in the summer of 75, um, which was the New England army basically holding the British in Boston, he writes Congress um, two facts that I found interesting. One is that of the men he had there, 15% of them didn't have a weapon which to me is, a, is a, a good indication that not everyone in the colonies owned a weapon. The assumption is because militia laws say every free male, uh, free uh, able-bodied male uh, is, needs to be in the militia if he's 16 years old or up to 60. Leads us to believe then that every male has a gun. That's the law. But the reality of it was, no, not everybody owned a gun. I don't think it was a lot that didn't own a gun, but I, 15, 20 percent, I think, would probably be a fairly good guess as to how many men did not have guns. And his letter is, is a good indication of that. But the other thing that he wrote, which I find in, incredibly fascinating, is that he had available for that entire army 34 barrels of gunpowder. Uh, a barrel of gunpowder is 100 pounds. So he had literally 3,400 pounds of gunpowder. That was enough gunpowder to allow every man in his army seven rounds. And that meant no gunpowder for any cannons whatsoever. Had the British known that, had General Howell known that in Boston, that Washington had no gunpowder, he, he could have attacked. And the war could have ended right there because we had no gunpowder to fight with. Fortunately, the British didn't know that. And we do start getting gunpowder fairly quickly because we send our privateers down to the West Indies to purchase. There's a desperate, you know, need for gunpowder. But such an interesting idea to think about. When you think about the revolution, there are so many components to it um, that are economical and, and functional and practical. You've given us such an interesting window into the operation of war. Thank you so much Thank for you. coming by Thank today. You. Appreciate it. We're always glad to hear from you. Send comments or suggestions from our webpage at podcast.history.org or find us on Facebook. To support the podcast and other Colonial Williamsburg programs, visit history.org slash donate.